If you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119, and the uh, sermon passage this morning is from verse 137 to 144. You'll find it on page 515 in the Pew Bibles, and it's right there in the worship uh, folder in front of us. Psalm 119, and beginning at verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me, because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. This is God's word. Do please be seated. What well, is uh, my great delight to introduce for us um, Dr. Ajith Fernando. He's uh, a friend to Cottage Church, and I've uh, been delighted to get to know him this weekend as he's spoken for us uh, at uh, Friday evening and uh, again now uh, this morning. Uh, Ajith Fernando was for 35 years um, the National Director of uh, Youth for Christ Sri Lanka and uh, serves now as its teaching uh, director. Sometimes he's known as the Sri Lankan John Stott. He has a worldwide Bible teaching uh, ministry. Ajith and his wife have uh, one son and one daughter. He's the author of, of many books. And it's just a great delight, Ajith, to have you with us uh, this weekend. And if you would give uh, Ajith now a warm Cottage Church welcome. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be back at College Church. This is my third visit. And my first visit was 30 years ago. So it's been uh, with a long break in between. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> and I've been delighted to get to know Pastor Josh. Kent was a good friend of mine, your former pastor. And it's really nice to get to know your new pastor. Well, he's no longer new, I guess. Uh, there was a, a girl who wrote a letter to a magazine and said, I was told in Sunday school that honesty pays, but when I look around me, it doesn't look like honesty pays. Can you show me whether it's really worthwhile being honest? I think that's a question that a lot of people are asking. And this passage that we read seeks to answer that question. We are not sure who wrote this psalm, uh, but it's mainly about the law of God, and for us that would mean it's mainly about the Bible. Uh, 
And um, this person who wrote the song has been righteous and he's in a lot of trouble. So the combination causes him turmoil. He says in verse 141, I am small and despised. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out. And he asked the question, and, and people would ask the question, is it obedient? Is it worthwhile being obedient? And the psalmist would answer, God's ways are righteous. And that's the theme of this passage. God's ways are righteous. So we come to verse 137. Uh, righteous are you, O Lord, and right in your rules. In this small section, five times we find words coming out of the Hebrew root for righteous. And once we find in this verse the word right. So uh, the idea of righteous, God's words are righteous and God is righteous. Um, the word righteous suggests characterized by accepted standards of morality and justice. In other words, someone who's righteous, you can trust that person to do what is correct in a situation. And so the psalmist is saying that God can be trusted to give us the best, the right way to live. Because his rules because he is righteous, his rules are righteous. Therefore, it's worth following God's ways, that's the implication, and it's dangerous to disobey God's ways. Well, he goes on to explain that a little further. He says uh, that the rules reflect God's faithfulness in verse 38. He says, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. Just like God won't fail us because he's faithful, his instructions won't fail us. Today it doesn't seem, as I already said, worthwhile sometimes following God's law. Let's just take uh, one, one example. The Bible tells us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hurt you. Uh, many Christians choose to ignore that. You know, they just... Just forget it. Uh, they, they just remain neutral or completely opposed to that. Sometimes they'll spread stories about the person. Um, they'll look for a way to attack that person who has hurt them. And sometimes we Christians have Christian ways of attacking people. Like, uh, let's pray for him. He's having a lot of problems, you know, and things like that. Uh, uh, they, they feel they must do this. That's the right thing to do. The Bible says that to disobey God's way is to be foolish. To do that is foolish. God is faithful. If we obey him, he will bless us. And if we disobey him, we will forfeit his blessing. So uh, take this example of do not take revenge. Uh, all my ministry... Uh, I have worked with first-generation Christians, primarily with first-generation Christians, people who have come from other faiths. And this particular command of the Bible is one thing that they find very difficult to accept. And um, uh, people think they are weak if they don't take revenge. 
that they are dishonoring their family if they refuse to uh, attack those who have attacked them. So the common response I get when I tell people, now you have to forget, forgive them and try and be kind to them, the common response is, you are a, you've been a Christian a long time, you can do that, but we can't. That's impossible for us to do. The Bible says, one who rejects God's way is a fool. Because we are rejecting the plan of the creator of the universe. And it would be foolish to do a thing like that. Verse 40, uh, 139. You see his anger about what he's going through. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. He's angry because the foes are doing the wrong thing. And that is the normal reaction of a biblical Christian to wrong. When people do wrong, and those who are committed to right, those who are committed to right, do get angry. That's the response of Jesus to, to, to injustice. That's the response of God to injustice. Especially when, you're, when you are struggling because of their wrong, as seems to be the case in this psalm. So before we forgive someone for the wrong they have done, we must acknowledge the wrongness of their wrong. We must accept that they have done something that is wrong. And because God is angry about things like that, we also have a right to be angry. Let's take an example. <clears throat> a company has gone through a big loss through a certain mistake made by a department. And there are, two, there are two people responsible for that department. And um, uh, the one who really made the big error strongly denied his involvement in this decision that caused problems. The other one agreed to the decision and therefore he, was, uh, he had to take responsibility, which he took, even though the decision was not his. He took the responsibility. The one who denied receives a promotion. And the one who acknowledged his responsibility was demoted. Now in a situation like that, it is right to be angry. We, uh, because it was, it's wrong. <clears throat> we are angry, but we are not bitter. Because we know there is a judgment. And that there is a God who is just, who ultimately determines the, the, the fate of the actions that people have committed. One of the most important arguments in the Bible for holiness is the doctrine of judgment. We are holy because that is what pleases God. And, uh, and if we are not, uh, we, we are subject to God's judgment. And in fact, that is one of the greatest antidotes to bitterness in the Bible. We, don't, we, we, we are bitter because we think it's so unfair. How could a person do a thing like this and get away with it? We know that the Bible says that sin will be judged. And therefore, the doctrine of judgment is an antidote to bitterness. 
So don't feel bad if you're angry over wrong. You can go to God and share your anger, as the psalmists did, as many people in the Bible did. And so we have these laments that complain to God about what, what a person is going through. You have those imprecatory prayers where the psalmists are telling God, these people should be cursed. How come they're doing so well? So we learn to go to God with our anger. Then we won't be bitter because bitterness is destructive. Holy anger can be constructive. So um, um, bitter people, of course, express their bitterness and end up becoming unkind. Well, uh, that's verse 139. Let's come to verse 140. Talks about God's ways as a well-tried path. Your promise is well-tried. And your servant loves it. Um, he's clinging to the word of God for two reasons here. One is that they are well tried. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of the Old Testament. And then in chapter 12, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. Lay aside every weight and the sin that clings to us and run with perseverance. It is well tried, this way of faith. Therefore, Hebrews 12 tells New Testament Christians, you run with perseverance. In the same way, we know that the word of God has proved to be true over the centuries. Therefore, we can trust it. David, uh, as an old man, says in Psalm 35 and verse 27, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor the children bringing, uh, begging for bread. Uh, life is tough. That's, that was promised by Christ. John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, and just before that, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. So trusting God that he will not fail us, we launch out along the path of obedience. Maybe you have heard the story of Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. Uh, that's in Turkey. It's now called Izmir. Uh, and um, he was a disciple of John. And in AD 50, 150, uh, he was brought to Rome as an old man to be, uh, to be tried because of his refusal to uh, shun Jesus. Uh, the proconsul, the one who was responsible for his case, felt sorry for him, an old man. And he told him, deny Christ and we'll release you. And he says, 80 and 6 years I have served him. And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king? Who saved me. And then he was threatened with fire. And then he says the fire you threatened me with. Burns only for a short time. And then it goes out. You are ignorant of the future fire of judgment. Which is never put out. And which is reserved for the ungodly. What, what, why are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you want 
um, do what you want to do. I have to be burned alive. And then he said a prayer of thanksgiving to God and praise. He said, I praise you. And then told what he praised God for. Again, I praise you. And then I bless you. We can trust our God and his ways. And sometimes he will show his glory by delivering us from trouble. Other times he will show his glory by calling us to go through trouble and to present the glory of the gospel in that way. So he says, it's a well-tried path. And secondly, he says, your servant loves it. Having experienced the word as something that ministers to him and is faithful, he loves the word now. That is the consequence of faith. Faith says it's well-tried. And uh, you won't go wrong by following it, says faith. And the result of that faith is that you end up loving the word. Therefore, people of the word, that is obedient people, relish the scriptures. Then we come to verse 141, where he says he's small, but he has been faithful. Verse 141, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. You know, this is one of the hardest things for someone who's obedient to God uh, to experience, smallness. You know, let them, uh, let them admire us for our heroism, for the cost we are paying. But to be shamed, to look like we are small, that's something we don't like. And that's what sometimes God calls us to. You obey God's call to stay in a low-paying job because that's what God wants you to do. And when your friends go up, you look like you're a failure. And that's difficult. You don't take revenge. And people say, you are a spineless person, refusing to respond to the hurt that you have received. You don't join in things that others do and people think you're weak. Yet we obey. The world may think we are small, but in God's sight, we are great. And God is great. He's the one we are anchored to. When Martin Luther was going on with his process of reformation, uh, uh, he, uh, he received a, a message, an envoy from the, uh, from the uh, Pope, who told him that if he doesn't stop his, his, what he's doing, his activities, he's going to be declared illegal and getting himself into a lot of trouble. And then uh, this person said, where will you be then? And he responded, responded, then as now in the hands of God. We may look weak, but we are anchored to one who is strong. So he says uh, he's, um, uh, he's weak and small, but he remains obedient. Then verse 142, he says, Your righteousness is righteous forever. Your law is true. A new uh, aspect of righteousness. It is something that is forever. We are people who are headed for eternity. And all the time we get our values from the reality of eternity. I am a person who is here for a short time. I am headed for eternity. That determines what is valuable 
in my life. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose and forfeit his soul? 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Uh, this is a little story I made up, a Sri Lankan story. Uh, and um, uh, it's, it's about uh, two, two, two students who studied together in school. One of them was a brilliant student, uh, did very well, but because of the call of God, chose to be a teacher in a rural area and be a witness for Christ in that area. I don't know how it is in your country, but in Sri Lanka, teachers are not paid at all well. They are not paid well. And, uh, but they usually give tutorial classes and they make a little money. But in the village, you can't, people can't afford to, get, to pay for tutorial classes. And this guy uh, was not a successful person by the world standards. And then he went for his class reunion up in the mountains. And all these people were there doing, they have done so well. So rich. And he knew the guy who was a very poor student uh, who is now extremely rich because he's doing a dishonest business that has made him very rich. And he has, you know, BMW car and a beautiful house. And, and you know how when people get together, they like to, in a short, small way, share, show how successful they have been. And when this guy was coming back, after the meeting, he was coming back in a bus, a rickety old bus, standing, because there, was no, there were no seats. I don't know whether people stand in long-distance journeys in your country, but they do in our country. And, um, and he was coming back, and then as he was uh, standing and looking out of the window, he saw this BMW going. His friend, uh, with, with, who has done so well, and he thought to himself, Lord, have I made a mistake? I don't even have a motorcycle. I just go on a bicycle when I have to go places. And then after a distance, they came across a big crowd of people that had gathered. And bus stopped to find out what had happened. And a car had gone down the precipice. And... Uh, it was the car of his friend, and his friend had died. And as he was thinking, now this is a bit crude, but it's real. It's stark. It's real. He was thinking, and he said to himself, you know, it's better to go to heaven in a rickety old bus than to hell in a BMW. My dear friends, that's the stark reality of eternity. We are people who are headed for eternity. And in terms of eternity, following God is a smart investment with extremely good dividends in a place where inflation and economic reversals are not going to touch us. Well, verse 143, he's encouraged by the word. He says, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. The word encourages us when we are facing hardship. That's what he's saying here. 
uh, when we are facing hardship, very often it's quite natural not to want to read the scriptures. We don't want to. But if we do, we find strength from it. I remember once when I was deeply hurt. I, I couldn't read the Bible. I was so hurt. But at that time, words that I remember from the scriptures, God ministered to me. Even though I couldn't read, the, the word of God hidden in the heart emerged to minister. Psalm 119 and verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We don't feel like reading, but when we do, God has a way of refreshing us. And then verse 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. You notice how he makes this statement about righteous and then there's another implication. So this time the implication is a prayer. Lord, give me understanding that I may live. God's word is true, but we must understand it. We must come to the point of acting as if, of thinking as if the word were true. We need to realize that obedience is worthwhile. And we need to know why it is worthwhile. It's not worth lying to get something because the wise person does not lie. Because that person thinks of his own welfare. Uh, it's worth paying the price of obedience because there are uh, rewards for obedience. And, and what is the result of this? When you understand the word of God, that it's worthwhile, he says, give me understanding that I may live. And that's the great treasure we have while we are here on earth. We may not be rich by the world's standards. We may have opposition and all of that. But we are alive. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. We have a relationship with God. And he's the one who created life. And he alone can give us fulfillment. In that relationship of love with God, we find joy. We find that life is good because God is with us. There was a missionary and his wife, John and Betty Stamm. Uh, they were martyred in China in 1934. Uh, he was 27 years old and she was 28 years old. John Stamm said once before his death, Take away everything I have. But don't take away the sweetness of walking with the King of glory. When we understand God's word, we realize that we have life. And life is better than anything else than the world can offer. Uh, David, uh, David Livingston sacrificed a lot for the kingdom of God. Most of his time he was alone. He was often sick. Uh, his wife died on the field. And once when he went to England, somebody told him, Dr. Livingston, you have sacrificed a lot for the gospel. And Livingston said, sacrifice? The only sacrifice 
is to live outside the will of God. My dear friends, even as you look at your own life, maybe there are some important obedience decisions that have to be taken. I pray that God will give you understanding so that you will realize this is the wisest and the best choice to make. Let us pray. We thank you, our Father, that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, may we decide every day to pursue your paths so that we too could experience life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.